Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called The Gift as he dives into God's Word to find the true significance of the manger in the biblical Christmas story. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Amen. The Prince of Peace is here. Emmanuel, God with us. Welcome to Impact Church. Are y'all excited to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. We are continuing right now in our sermon series, our Christmas sermon series that we've been in now. This is our third week. And we had gone through and we started and we, we learned some of the significance that's inside the Christmas story that, that is so easy just to breeze over as we read the story because honestly we're, we're familiar with it, right? If you've been in church, um, like many of us have since we were like knee high, you know the Christmas story. So it's so easy just to read about shepherds, read about wise men, read about a manger and miss the significance in all of it. So we've seen, as we started the series, the significance of the shepherds and, and all the way down to the detail at the time that the angels ha- had um, presented themselves to him and, and, and told the shepherds of the birth of Christ, all the way down to the time of day, to, to where they were in their region, very specific, that gives us life application. We saw the same last week with the wise men. And how the significance of these wise men and, and how it started way back in the Babylonian Empire with a, a young man named Daniel uh, making a stand for Christ in a godless culture. And through that influence, these wise men, these magi, if you will, were um, some of them were instructed in the ways of the Lord and not just in the ways of astrology and astronomy. And so this remnant of them had come to seek him because they had heard of the Messiah starting way back from that. God is in the details is so beautiful, the application. So today, we're going to get a message today on the significance of the manger, the significance of Christ himself. And the title of today's message is Don't Miss the Gift in the Manger. You know, during this whole sermon series that we've called the gift, we've had this present up here that's been turned around. So it just looked like a, a pagan holiday gift, just a box wrapped up. But see, what's been in there the whole time, what's been meaningful and purpose the whole time is what's inside this gift. And if you can see that, there's a manger place inside of here. So the gift of God to all of mankind, to us, is his son that he placed in a manger. What's the significance of it? I want us to think for just a second because we all just celebrated yesterday and maybe we opened gifts uh, in a family room or around a Christmas tree or a fire or somewhere and, and we fellowship together and we shared with each other something that we wanted to give each other that maybe we knew that you really wanted or needed or that you, we just loved you so we, we spent time and money to go find. But what if somebody that you had spent all their time on, you spent all your time and you had searched for a gift and you, and you went and you got it and you found it and you paid good money for it and, and you wrapped it up and you put it there. What if somebody left it and didn't receive it? What if they missed it? What would you do? You'd jump up and down, right? hey, ho, hey, right there. Don't leave till you open that. That costs a lot of money, right? That, that's important. I want you to see that. I want you to open it. I want you to receive it. You see, that's kind of what 
God did at the manger. He presented something so important, so huge for mankind, so foretold that it was just large announcement. It was like, hold up. Hey, here it is. And we're going to see some significance in that, how God did that, and people still missed it. They didn't open the gift that was there. And it's easy for us at Christmas time, honestly, to miss the gift in the manger, to miss the real reason for Christmas. Let's be honest. We live in a, a pagan society that wants to just push a lot of traditions and customs and everything on us. And, they, and, and it's not that there's anything inherently necessarily wrong in them by themselves, but if they become the focus, then we've missed Christmas. You see, because if we're not careful in America, the main focus of Christmas, and tell me if I'm wrong, is food, family, fellowship, and fun. Did I hit it? Food, family, fellowship, and fun. It's the time we be with family. It's the time to fellowship and eat food and be together. That's all great. But if we're not careful, that alone will become our God of Christmas instead of the real Lord of Christmas. So where's our focus? You know, we can open some presents, eat a big dinner, and sit all around a decorated pine tree, right? Have a great time. But if we are not focused on Christ and truly have given him our heart and truly have put him in, at the forefront, then maybe we've missed what God really intended. What's really bad about this is at the first Christmas, many people were gathered in the proximity of Christ and they still missed him. They didn't seek him. They didn't take the time to go see worship, praise, or even just check out the Savior that was born. So we're going to read the Christmas story today, and we're going to see some significance in the manger. We're going to see some significance in the gift in the manger, because that's what it's all about. And we're going to see from this Christmas story six ways that people missed Christmas on that first Christmas. And what's going to be so applicable to all of us today is there the same ways we can miss Christmas today if we're not careful? So, as we look and we learn from Scripture today, let's keep in mind what the real reason is, why we're here, why we're here today. When Christmas was just yesterday and we're here back already today, why are we here? I mean, some, some people kind of entertain the thought, of, you know, well, should we cancel service today? And maybe some, some churches did, and that's between them and the Lord, but... I'm just thinking to myself, wow, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. I kept church open all the way through COVID, painfully so, with a lot of ridicule. <laughs> Keep church open when it snows. You want me to close church for Christmas? Hmm. Let's pray for us right here before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. So, Lord, we're here to worship you, to adore you to praise your holy name, Father. We've done that starting on Friday evening with our Christmas Eve service. We've done that through yesterday, hopefully, in our homes, and we're doing that today. And Lord, more so, Father, let us keep this in our hearts 365 days a year. We should be worshiping you, adoring you every day. 
So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us today, Lord, as you have the, the previous two weeks with the significance of the, the shepherds and the wise men. And, Lord, now let us see the significance in these parts of the story and how some people missed out on Christmas. And, and the same things can, can capture our heart if we're not careful. So we truly miss what you want us to receive and the life you want us to have. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through the presentation of your word that Lord, we would leave here different, changed, and Lord, you could do only what you can do in our hearts and lives, and we give you the glory in your son's holy and precious name we pray, amen. All right, so you might have guessed we'd be in the Christmas story today. Ding, ding, ding. Luke chapter 2, let's read verses 1 through 7. That's going to be our passage we're going to start at looking in today. And we're going to see some components of this Christmas story from here and then also in Matthew about some, some events that took place that give us the message to make sure we don't miss the gift in the manger. Verses 1 through 7 in Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governor in Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him, capital H, in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So we see right off the bat here in this Christmas story that Jesus was left out. He was left out of a of an inn, a, a lodging establishment here somewhere in Bethlehem. So we're going to see these ways as we go through that people missed Christmas. And what we're going to see is there are all ways that we alluded to that we can miss him today if we're not careful. So the overlying reason when we look at this, and we'll look at these other folks as well in these other scenarios, the overlying reason, though, that the manger was seemingly non-significant to them, or that specifically the, the gift inside the manger was not important was their unbelief. Unbelief and doubt. So that's our first way that we could miss Christmas this season or any season. And so many miss it for this reason is unbelief and doubt. So what is the significance of the gift in the manger? What is the significance of this baby of Christ having to come? And why in this form, in this fashion? Is there significance in it? Or is it just part of the story that's really non-significant and it only matters when Jesus got older and started to teach? Or is there something in this that really means something and, and points to something that we should know? See, many people have doubt and disbelief that Jesus really is who he said he is. They don't believe that he's God. So that by itself, if you believe that and you take that as a whole, then the Christmas story is not important to you. And it wasn't 
important to a lot of the people in Jerusalem, Bethlehem at that time, obviously with their unbelief and their doubt. The world we live in today, many people believe in a lot of crazy things. People believe in Bigfoot. They believe he's out there. I hunted a guy's property one time. He's been like, watch out. He said, there's a creature up there. He said, we was leaving there one time, and we trying to leave, and the thing picked up the back of our car, and we couldn't go nowhere. I'm like, man, I think the creature that got you is Jack Daniels, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> man, seriously, though, believe in Bigfoot. 20% of America believes Bigfoot's real. Isn't that crazy? There's people out there that believe in ghosts. UFOs, a lot of crazy stuff. But there's a lot of people who don't believe in Jesus. And they don't believe he's God. And they don't believe he is who he said he is. So what's the significance? So inside of that, knowing people's heart and disbelief and doubt, one of the first significances of the gift in the manger is fulfilled prophecy. That God is who he said he is and that God keeps his promises. That is hugely significant for us to grasp. And it's proven in prophecy. We, we know Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You're familiar with that passage. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That means God with us. That's a promise from Isaiah. And then some people be like, well, well, that's the Bible, man. Yeah. Okay, well. You're saying that just the Bible supports the Bible, so duh, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about it is that Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. That's the big deal. And then some people would say, prove it. You know, because some people would say, hey, this prophet and, and whatever, yeah, he may have lived hundreds of years before Jesus, but this, these details, they were probably added after Jesus was born. Somebody probably went and, and slipped it in there. Yeah, they probably wrote Isaiah after Jesus was born so it would look real. Not too many people could really refute that until the 1940s. Remember how Jesus said, hey, man, there's going to come a time, hey, if everybody shuts up and doesn't praise me, the rocks are going to cry out. Well, the rocks cried out in the 1940s through something called the Dead Sea Scrolls where Isaiah and many other copies of books of the Old Testament were found in a cave near the Dead Sea. What's so significant about that? It was an exact copy of the book of Isaiah like you have in your word. The oldest dated manuscript ever found of God's word, 1,800 to 2,000 years old. What's that big deal? It proves it was written before Christ. And there's some significance in that. So now we know this was written before he was born. And you say, well, great, that's just Isaiah. Is there more? Is there more? Let me give you some more. Because in totality, in Old Testament prophecy, there's 48 Messianic prophecies, meaning that pointing to Jesus as being the Messiah. There's 300 prophecies in total that all of which Jesus fulfilled. Let me just give you another 18 in addition to this one for a total of 19. Are you ready? The exact time of his birth was given in Daniel 9, that he would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7:14, which we just read. That he would be born in Bethlehem in Micah 5, verse 2. That he would be born into the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49, 10. That his ministry would begin in Galilee in Isaiah 9, 1. That he would work miracles in Isaiah 61, 1. That he would teach in parables, Psalm 78, 2. That he would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, Zechariah 9, 9. That he would be betrayed by a friend in Psalms 41, 9. 
that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11:12. 12. That he would be accused by false witnesses in Psalm 35, 11. That he would be wounded and bruised, Isaiah 53, 5. That his hands and feet would be pierced, Psalm 22, 16. That he would be crucified with thieves, Isaiah 53, 12. That his garments would be torn apart and lots cast for them in Psalm 22, 18. That his bones would not be broken in Psalm 34, 20. That his side would be pierced in Zechariah 12, 10. That he would be buried in a rich man's tomb in Isaiah 53, 9. That he would rise from the dead in Psalm 16, 10. And the list just goes on. Very specific details of Christ. All of them written hundreds of years before he was born, proven in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and fulfilled by Christ on this earth. I don't know where you're at today, but Jesus is who he said he is. And it's important because Jesus in John 14, 6 made this claim. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? But you see, we live in a world that says there's many ways to heaven. Oprah. Is that true? Because if that's true, then Jesus is a liar. But if Jesus is true, then the world is a liar. So he's either Lord or liar. Which is he? So the fulfilling of prophecy, this Christ coming to earth to fulfill it, proving that he is God and then proving that his word is true, points to the authenticity and the inerrancy of Scripture and the fulfillment of God and his faithfulness to mankind. What does that mean? That means you can trust him. That means that his promises are true and that we can live for him. Many people live for other things still, though, even in the midst of all that. One mathematician figured out his name was Peter Stoner, figured out what the, what the odds of probability are that, that Jesus could just fulfill eight of these prophecies. Remember, there was over 300, 48 specific messianic prophecies. What are the odds that he would just fulfill eight of them, just by luck and by chance? So he went to figure that out, and he come out that the prob- probability of that is 1 in 10 to the 17th power. We talked about that briefly at the end of our Christmas Eve service. What does that mean? What does that number look like? Is 10 to the 17th power? It's one followed by 17 zeros. Put that in perspective. He did. That's like taking silver dollars. If you took that amount of silver dollars, it would cover the state of Texas two foot deep. Let's say you marked one of them, and then you send somebody blindfolded out into the state of Texas and say, I want you to go find that one. That's the chance that they would just find that one is the same chance Jesus had of just by accident fulfilling eight. You know what the number went up to if he fulfilled 16? One in 10 to the 45th power. Again, what does that look like? Take the same scenario with silver dollars. Now you pack the silver dollars real tight into a ball. That ball is now large enough. If you put the center at the ball where our sun is in our solar system, the edge of the ball would reach out to Neptune in silver dollars. That's what that number is, guys. Now mark one of them and tell somebody to go pick that one out. Same probability Jesus had it was an accident. We'll get a little deeper. What's the chance he fulfilled 48? 
The 48 messianic prophecies that proven that he is God, that he is God in the flesh. What are the chances of that? It's the number one in 10 to the 157th power. What does that look like? You got to back off of silver dollars now. Now you got to go to something really small. You got to go to an electron. It's one of the smallest particles known to man. That you can't see with the naked eye, right? Now if you put 2.5 to the um, times the number 10 to the 15th power, and you take that many electrons and you put them in a line back to back, they would only be one inch long. You know how long it would take you to count that number just in that one inch long line? If you counted 250 of them per minute, you know how long it would take you? 19 million years to count that one little inch line of electrons. Okay, but now we said... 1 in 10 to the 157th power. So what that would fill up, if you marked one electron and you took that number of electrons, they would now fill the entire universe, 6 billion light years of space with electrons. That's the chance that Jesus is just a fluke. Would you gamble your life on those type of odds? Many people go out and buy lottery tickets, and if you see the, the big signs around for the for the mega millions and the Powerball, the chances of winning the Powerball is one in 292 million. Chances of winning the mega millions is one in 305 million. Would you gamble your soul and your life and your family and your everything on one ticket for me? Would you? No. So why would you gamble your family and your life and your soul and your eternity on the odds of one inside of a tire? Six billion light year universe full of electrons. That's the odds you're gambling on. Guys say, hey, Jesus is who he said he is, and that's what this manger means. He's saying, I am God. This isn't just some cool story about a baby in a manger. This is the proof that I am God and that I am real and that my word is true. There's significance in the manger. It's not just a story that we can tell. And even at this incarnation, it means God coming in the flesh at his birth. This wasn't the beginning we find from Scripture. That wasn't where he started to exist. Let's look at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. This is what makes it so huge and, and adds to the significance. That this just isn't where Christ began. John chapter 1, we read verses 1 through 14. This would be a great passage to read if the Jehovah's Witness up here come to your door, by the way, just so y'all know. Don't lock the door and hide. Open it up. Say, come on in. Let's turn to John chapter 1. You ready? Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's not what they believe. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. 
That's what we're going to read about here through the rest of this passage. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And get this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's fulfilling of prophecy that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But there's more significance in that he's God, and this wasn't the start of who Jesus is. That he's there from the beginning. And we've talked about how you cannot separate Jesus from his word, and he is just as much the author of Genesis as he is of the red words in your New Testament. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Because that gives you the inerrancy and the infallibility of Scripture. And the, what, what Timothy, what Paul told Timothy, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for training, rebuking, correcting. Hey, that's what the Word of God does in teaching us and moving in our hearts. It's God with us, and it's significant. We know Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and he's the exact representation of his being. I love Colossians 1.15-17. through 17. I'm going to read it for you. It says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him, and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. It's not just a baby. He's God with us. That's huge. So how did people miss it? They had the same prophecies of Old Testament scripture, and many of them of that day were studying it. How did they miss that? I don't know about you, man, but if, if I heard Jesus was coming and knowing what I know of the word, man, I would cancel everything I was doing. I would cancel my plans. I would get on a plane if I had to, and I would go to where Christ is, wouldn't you? And these people were right there. Hmm. They didn't believe it. They missed Christmas. Why? Who missed Christmas? How? Let's look. We said first was doubt and unbelief, and we've shown how the significance should relieve any doubt or unbelief because of the significance of Christ's fulfilling prophecy. But they still missed it. Why? Innkeeper at this inn and midwives. First, the second one, second reason we miss Christmas like they did, they're unavailable and don't have room or time for Jesus. They're unavailable and they don't have room or time for Jesus. Do you have room and time for Jesus? Are you available when he calls you? We see in this passage in Luke chapter 2 that we read in verse 7 that, that Mary gave birth to the son, wrapped him in clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So yeah, seemingly we know that it doesn't specifically talk about an innkeeper here, but if this was a place of lodging, then we know that there was somebody running it, overseeing it. So when Mary and Joseph come to this place that, that night, and he says, Man, sorry, I'm full. Because if you remember, what was the scenario? What had happened here? Remember Caesar had said, hey, man, everybody's got to come in to be registered to the place of their own city, Right? So you have all these people coming in Bethlehem here at this moment. The place was packed. 
It wasn't just normal little old scrawny Bethlehem, which was probably had plenty of availability on most nights. This was a place that was packed now because the king said, come on in, be registered because we're going to tax you. You got to let us know how much property you have, how much, how much money you have, and what your livestock looks like, right? Because we're going to tax you on it. So that's why everybody had come in to be registered. So this place is packed busy, okay? Let's get that scenario. So business was good for the innkeeper, right? How many times do we not care about Jesus when business is good? Life's going well. I don't need you right now, Jesus. I can put you on the shelf. You're not important. I bet it would have been a different scenario if that place was empty. He might have been, hey, do y'all need a place to stay? He'd probably have been meeting them in the street because he was needy. Isn't that us? When we're needy, we're, we're looking for God. We want God to answer us. Oh, Lord. But when everything's going good, give him a stiff arm. Nah, I don't need you right now. Innkeeper in this scenario doing just that. Whether he knew about Jesus or not, we don't know. But we know that they were shunned away. And what we could probably say is if he truly knew who was inside of Mary, if he truly knew what we just talked about, he would have made room, wouldn't he? Even if he had had to kick somebody out, go wake them out of bed, hey, y'all got to get up. (laughs) The Lord's here. And make a place for Jesus. But they didn't. And he didn't even call a, a midwife who at the time would often help in the birth process. They, they didn't go to hospitals, kind of like what we do a lot of times today. They had midwives come into homes and, and, and kind of help that birthing process. So the innkeeper didn't even help him out there. He probably knew somebody in town, all right? Remember Joseph and them, they had been off in Galilee. He probably didn't know everybody in that area. And I'm sure the innkeeper did. And he pointed them to no help, no assistance. So Mary had to do everything herself, clean the baby, wrap him up. It was a lonely existence at first for Jesus. Another kind of significance we get inside this story is knowing that in Bethlehem, in this scenario where this whole place is full right now, now we see as people were here that there was an opportunity for more people than usual to come to Jesus. I want us to think about that for just a minute. Prophecy was fulfilled from Micah 5.2. We showed that, that he would be born in Bethlehem. He could have just been born in Bethlehem at any old time, couldn't he? But what did the Lord time it as? When, the, when Caesar had made a call, hey, bring everybody in to get registered. God gives opportunity for people to come and seek him and to be in his presence. But so many times people still reject him. I want you to think about that. God, when, when you are even at your farthest point, when you're away from him, God is making an opportunity to put Jesus right there in front of you. But have you received him or have you rejected him? What is your focus? Because these people obviously were caught up on the things of the world, on their own scenarios, and they weren't focused on Christ. Guys, our, our lives can get like that. We can be f- so filled up with needless things, meaningless things of this earth and this world that we are not focused on Christ and who he is even when he's right there in front of us. When God has made a way for us to meet him and we're right there. 
You can ignore the siren and just praise God that nobody's hurt and they're running that thing up the street. That's all I know to say. Just stay focused and let's keep going. All right? Second, third rather way that, that we can keep ourselves from missing Christmas this year, like some of them did, is to make sure that we don't have pride in our life and fear of God being in control. Make sure we don't have pride in our life or fear of God being in control. Herod was the perfect example of this. Tim alluded a little bit to this in in the Christmas Eve service the other night, but inside of Matthew chapter 2, and we won't go back and read that because we just did last week and he did the other night, we know the scenario where these wise men had seen the star and they had come to Jerusalem and, and they were there and they had said, hey, and they were asking people, where is the king of the Jews? that was just born, we've, we've seen the star and we've come. And inside of that, because of that buzz, then Herod gets word of this and, and he brings them in. And, and the Bible says this in, in verse three in that chapter, it says when Herod heard this, he was troubled and the rest of Jerusalem with him. I want you to think about that for just a minute. He was troubled. If you look at the, the Greek word for that, the word troubled means agitated. He's upset. In today's terminology, that means he was ticked off. He was mad. This can't happen. And so many people today, when presented with the truth of of Jesus, get mad. They get agitated. They get upset. They don't want to hear about it. Why? Because there could only be one king on the throne. Herod wanted to be the only king on the throne. He was king of the Jews. There couldn't be another one. We get upset because, hey, there's only one king of my life, and it's me. I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it and how I want to do it. I don't have room for another king in my life, Jesus. And that's why people get so mad. That's the core of it. That's the heart. Because they don't want to hear about it because they don't want Christ to take control. There's pride in that, and there's fear. Herod afraid that somebody else would take the throne, just like... So many people are often afraid for Jesus to take the throne of their life. You see, there's a lot of people, they don't mind Jesus being on the team. They just don't want him to be the coach. Think about that. They want, they want everything Jesus can do. They want him to be on the team. I want that grace and that mercy. Give me some of that. The miracles, yeah, bring it. Show me again. Blessings, throw it around the blessings. They want what Jesus can do, but they don't want who Jesus is. He's Lord. Because if you really want him, you put him as the coach where he calls the shots, and then you just go out on the field and run the play. But people don't like that. That's why they run away from the truth of God's word. That's why they get agitated like King Herod did. People are fearful of giving up their own plans, priorities, values, and morals. They don't want Jesus or his word to cramp their style. That's why they want their sin in Jesus too. And that's why preachers that preach like that and sugarcoat the gospel and make them think they can have their sin in Jesus too, that's why they're, so, that's why they're the most popular. That's why they run to them. That feels good. That's what I want to hear. He's on my team, but he's not the coach. Tell me more of that. 
I don't have to repent. I don't have to surrender my life. I don't have to surrender my will to his will. That's what I want to hear. Just tell me I have to believe and call on his name and it's all good. That's a false gospel. That's false. That's part of the gospel. That's part. But it's not in totality. The message of the gospel is repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Then inside that heart of repentance through God's grace that he even gives you a heart that's able to repent, then you can call in his name and you're saved. There it is right there. That's the difference. That's the difference. So why did they miss Christmas? A lot of pride. Not wanting Jesus to be on the throne of their life and tell them anything that they need to do. How about you? Are you afraid of the claim that Jesus may have on your life? Are you fully just afraid of fully surrendering because, man, that's just scary to you. You don't know where that'll lead. Can I give you some truth and promise of Scripture? In Matthew 16, 24 through 26, when Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, that means if anyone wants to be my disciples, what must he do? Take up his cross and follow me. There's going to be some persecution, in other words. That it's not just all fun and games and, and, and life goes hunky-dory, merry and great. That there's going to be some pain and struggle, but make your resolve like Daniel did, that you're going to honor God. Take up your cross and follow me. Then he said this, for if a man wants to save his own life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, then you're going to find it. You're going to find really what you're looking for. And it's not going to be the, the superficial, temporal, worldly stuff that you think you're looking for and money and, and fame and all that stuff. That's not it. That's not what he's saying. When you give your life to him, that's what you're going to find. That's not it. You're going to find the true joy, peace, hope, love, purpose that God has for your life. But if you try to save it and keep it all for yourself and resist him, then you're going to lose everything. These people that didn't seek Jesus lost everything because they missed him at Christmas. Our fourth one, to make sure we're not religious, but we're repentant. Make sure we're not religious, but we are repentant. You see, here we have this scenario where you're in Jerusalem, you're in Bethlehem, you're around the Holy Land. You're around some people that studied and knew the scriptures. You're around the church folk, right? How can you be in church and miss Christmas? Right there. The religious people of the time didn't seek him, didn't recognize him, didn't know him. But they knew Genesis. They knew all of this prophecy. How did they miss it? Because they were caught up in their own selfish customs and ways and not focused on the real Christ. If you look back at that story in Matthew chapter 2 when Herod was frustrated and mad and agitated, he called on the, on the priest and the scribes and said, who were, who were the priests? A lot of these chief priests were the Sadducees, the scribes were the Pharisees. They were the people of Scripture of the day. They were the seminary crowd, right? They were the people that Man, they had a lot of wisdom. They knew the scriptures. They were theologians of the day. Smart. But unwise. Lots of knowledge. But yet lots of arrogance. 
that made them miss Jesus because they were caught up in their religiosity. Again, they knew the Bethlehem prophecy of Micah 5 too, but they missed it because somehow they had created a Jesus in their mind that didn't exist. And so they lost sight of the truth, even though they had knowledge. So there's a great message for us in that today, that we can gain all the knowledge we want, but have you truly put your trust, your faith, your hope, and fixed your eyes on Jesus so you don't miss him at Christmas? Our fifth one that we move toward brings us to a related topic, and that was religious deception. And make sure when we've had this message a couple weeks ago, make sure we don't fall for false teaching, religious deception. Jesus said that would be the number one sign at the end of the age. Remember that message? That there would be people that are wolves in sheep's clothing. And we talked about that, that they're the most dangerous because they look like they got it all together. They're 95, 99% true and just a but uh, uh-oh, those are the dangerous ones. And the Bible says they'll be the most popular, and we see that today. And it's so, so consuming for people because, like we said, they want to hear the ones that just motivate them and just give them a good word and never tell them they have to repent. Never talk about surrendering their will for God's will, of, of move, removing sin out of their life, of moving through the process of sanctification. You'll never hear that from them, teachers. Because it's in a false system. Many of the day had made up a Jesus in their mind that didn't exist. That they were looking not for a Jesus in a manger in a lowly position like this. They were looking for him to come in with royalty and, and robes and crowns and gold and, and all the like. That's why they missed it. This couldn't be the Jesus that they talked about because he should be royalty. He shouldn't be in a manger. They had made up a false Jesus in their mind. So many people today have made up a false Jesus in their mind. And it's a lot at the fault of the false teaching from the pulpit. And remember, false teaching doesn't mean people aren't preaching the Bible. They will preach the Bible. They just will not preach the whole Bible. And that's false teaching today. And they fall for it. Because they love it. And who wouldn't love it? Grace, mercy, love, all that. But man, and, and that's who God is. That is so true. He is full of grace. We're, we're saved by, by faith through his grace. It's not of our works that any of us can boast. But then there's this story of God is, is judge and, and he is wrath. And he hates sin, Psalm says so many times. That, and somehow through this hyper-grace preaching and age that we're in, people, when you start preaching the full word of God, they get upset because, like, that's not the Jesus I know because they haven't been taught it. And if they've heard it, they don't want to believe it. And that's why, again, going back to Herod, they don't want to make another king in their life because now they have to let him be the coach and call the shots from the inside out. We see... Paul tell Timothy this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. It says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead 
at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, somebody say, but you. But you be watchful in all things, endure, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Stand on the truth of God's word is what Paul's telling Timothy. Don't back down. There's going to come a time where people are going to shun you, run away from you, ridicule you, persecute you because you stand on the faith. And they're going to heap up for themselves. That word heap in the Greek sounds just like what it is. It means pile them up, baby. We want a lot of them. That's who we want. That's who we want to hear. I don't want to hear these people that preach the word and the truth and, and, and tell me that I can't have my sin in Jesus too. I want to heap up for myself the good ones, the ones that are silver-tongued devils that can speak it up and motivate the crowds. That's what I want to hear. And they heap up for themselves these teachers, and they run to them, and they run away from the truth. Pharisees even told Jesus to, hey, Jesus, keep your people quiet. You remember that? What did Jesus say? We talked about it at the beginning. He said, if they're quiet, even the rocks will cry out. I don't know about you. There's not going to be a rock having to cry out for me or this church. And we're going to preach the truth and we're going to stand on the truth. And we're going to have church even on Christmas and the day after Christmas. Because that's when we should be here anyway. It's thanking God for what happened and what he, we had yesterday and then who he is and everything about it. And it all comes back to him. Our sixth and final point as we look to close is reasons why people miss Jesus and we can miss him today is idolatry. That we put other gods before him. The biggest people that did this and missed it of this day was the Roman government and soldiers that they had the focus at the time on the, on the money, on the taxes, on the gathering the people, when they could have been the ones, because they knew some of the scripture. Remember when Herod even said, he even called Jesus the Messiah back in Matthew chapter two. He knew enough of the Bible to know who Jesus was. He could have surrendered his heart and life to God, and, and God could have made him a great king. But he had pride in his heart, and he wanted to resist it because he had other gods before himself, before God himself. And he pushed the people that way. Even the soldiers that gathered the people, they were all focused on registering people, worshiping their own gods, emperor worship, money worship, pagan idolatry. It goes without saying, we had this message in our counterculture series as well that we've got a world that's full of things to worship if we're not careful. Even good things, even things that God wants us to have, like food, family, fellowship, and fun at Christmas. But if our priority becomes that over spending time with Jesus, 
haven't we just made another God before him? And we can do that while we have a cool manger scene in our living room and have Silent Night playing on the radio. That's all great. But where's our heart? Have you made room and time for Jesus? So it all comes down, it all comes back to, again, there's significance in this story. That it's not just a birthday story. It's a fulfilled prophecy story. It's a story of many people who God gave a gift, the gift of all mankind, who was shouted from the rooftops from all the prophets hundreds of years before. And here it was, and God made a way for all the people to come into the region where he was gonna allow him to be birthed, where everybody could have a chance to worship him and see him and adore him. But they missed it. So the significance also becomes the people have we talked about and how they missed it with doubt and unbelief being caught up in their religion and not a relationship and not being repentant false teaching idolatry it's all ways that we can miss it if we're not careful just like in the Christmas story in Luke so this all comes back around who is Jesus to you What have you done with Jesus? Do you just know about him like many of the day? You see, because here's what God's word should really do. You see, this written word should lead you to the living word. There was a lot of people of the day who knew the written word, but they didn't let it lead them to the living word who is being born right in front of them. Have you done that today? Have you possibly maybe got caught up and you know the living word, but you truly haven't surrendered to the living word of Christ to seek him with all your life? You see, you may know about him today like they did, but they didn't make the trip. I think it's ironic, and there's nothing ironic, it's a God sequence that the people that knew the scriptures the most didn't make the trip, but the people who just heard and believed by faith in a shepherd's field and far off in the east with a star made the trip to seek him and worship him and find him. Has the written word, the graphe, led you to the living word, the Logos. That's Jesus. See, this is what's happened. Because then if the living word leads you to, if the written word leads you to the living word, then you get the spoken word. That's the rhema. That's God's word to you through this scripture and through his spirit in you as he speaks to you and guides you through his word. Then it becomes more than just graphe, words on a page. It becomes a live Logos and God speaks to you the rhema. That's the truth of Scripture, and that's what Scripture should do. So let us not miss the living word of Christmas that was the gift in the manger.
some people know but never take the trip. Don't let that be us. Don't miss Christmas this year, next year, or like we said at the beginning, every day. Because for the follower of Christ, Christmas is every day. Every day. We should be worshiping, adoring, and honoring our Lord. You may be Bible-toting. You may be Bible-quoting. But have you made the trip to seek Him? Is there room? Have you made the room? Have you made the time in your life, in your schedule, to put Jesus first? I hope we all do that today so that we don't miss God's gift in the manger. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes today. And I wonder if there's anybody here that may say, Brad, I've, I've known this Christmas story for a while. I've been in and out of church. I, I've heard, I've known, but I've never made the trip to seek him and receive him. That in a lot of ways I've been like Herod and I just, I just haven't wanted another king in my life. I wanted to be the king. But today I know that because I've had that heart, I've missed out on Christ. I've missed out on Christmas. And today I want to make a change. If that's you today and you want to receive Jesus for the first time, right now today, surrender your will to his will. Your life, surrender to him. Your heart, your everything. Would you do that today? I'm going to lead you through a prayer in a minute that I want you just to repeat from your heart to God's heart. Mean business with God, but I want you to know that it's not the words alone that save you, that it's your heart. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that you believe with and are justified through faith. So will you put your trust and hope in him today? Or if you're here today, you say, Brad, I've walked in and out of church doors as well, and I've committed my life to Christ earlier, and there was a time where I was on fire for him. Man, the Lord was moving in my life and doing great things, but, but lately that, that love, that, that fire has grown out, has gone dim, and has gone away. And I want to rekindle that flame, that fire today. I want to come running back to the cross and receive his redemptive plan for my life. To lift me back up and renew me and rebuild me. That's what I want. If that's you and you want to rededicate your life, I want you to pray the same prayer from your heart to God's heart right now. Just say, dear Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. And I'm running to you right now, knowing that you are Lord and that I am not. And I want to surrender to you. Forgive me of my sins because I have fallen short of your glory. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Thank you for this gift that you sent God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, to live a life perfect because you are God and then to give your life freely. No one took it from you, but you gave it freely because you loved us so much. And because your body was broken and your blood was shed, now I can be set free. You took the punishment that was due me. And that was why you came. So if you're going to do that for me, 
If you're going to die for me, then I'm going to live for you. Thank you for raising from the grave three days later, again proving that you are God in victory over all hell, death, sin, and the grave. And Lord, I want to claim and live out that victory right now in my life through your spirit because I can't do this alone. I can only do it through your power. So Lord, my commitment to you is you have all of me. Use me in my life for your glory. Amen. If that was you today, you just meant business with God right there. Your heart cried out to God with those words to receive him for the first time or to rededicate your life to him. Would you boldly and unashamed right now, this day after Christmas, raise your hand? Say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I received Christ or I rededicated my life to him today. Amen. Amen. Impact Church, can we give Jesus a big round of applause for who he is? Another message from his word and a story that we've read so many times and maybe not looked at that type of significance and that how much prophecy was really fulfilled in that manger that night and yet how many people oh god made that opportunity and brought them in how many people still missed it so let us take his word and let's not let that be us let's always make room for jesus church amen let's always make room for jesus and give our time and our lives to him. So let's take this word, let's make an impact for him this week. Grab a friend, grab everybody, a family member next week. We're gonna close this sermon series up with a a New Year's type message, and it's gonna be called The Gift That Keeps On Giving, right? The gift of new life that Christ brought from this manger. So we're gonna be talking about that as we move into a new year. Some exciting times here at Impact. I'm gonna share with you sometime over the next couple weeks that looks like we will be taking down trees, moving some dirt come this spring, all right? And uh, we've, we've moved, amen. We'll be going into a multi-purpose center style building initially. And then uh, while we build our bigger building, we're gonna keep our foot on the gas through all that. So uh, love to tell you all about it and share with you um, what God's done and where he's at through that. But that's just it in a nutshell. God has given us a Christmas gift at Impact this week. And uh, that's that. Site plans should be on the desk at the county within the next week or two, if not this week. So just be praying over all that. Um, and uh, we'll get our own entrance here one day soon and all that fun stuff. And we'll get us a building. All right. Hey. Guys, go be the church. It's not about a building. It's about being the church. So go be that this week where Christ leads you. See you next Sunday. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work, and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ. Christ.